section eleven of the fortunes of nigel by sir walter scott this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter nine so pitiful a thing is suitor's state most miserable man whom wicked fate hath brought to court to sue for had i wist that few have found and many a one hath missed full little knowest thou that hast not tried what hell it is in suing long to bide to lose good days that might be better spent to waste long nights in pensive discontent to speed to-day to be put back to-morrow to feed on hope to pine with fear and sorrow to have thy prince's grace yet want her peers to have thy asking yet wait many years to fret thy soul with crosses and with cares to eat thy heart through comfortless despairs to fawn to crouch to wait to ride to run to spend to give to want to be undone mother hubbard's tale on the morning of the day on which george harriet had prepared to escort the young lord of glenvarlock to the court at whitehall it may be reasonably supposed that the young man whose fortunes were likely to depend on this cast felt himself more than usually anxious he rose early made his toilette with uncommon care and being enabled by the generosity of his more plebeian countrymen to set out a very handsome person to the best advantage he obtained a momentary approbation from himself as he glanced at the mirror and a loud and distinct plaudit from his landlady who declared at once that in her judgment he would take the wind out of the sail of every gallant in the presence so much had she been able to enrich her discourse with the metaphors of those with whom her husband dealt at the appointed hour the barge of master george harriet arrived handsomely manned and appointed having a tilt with his own cipher and the arms of his company painted thereupon the young lord of glenvarlock received the friend who had evinced such disinterested attachment with the kind courtesy which well became him master harriet then made him acquainted with the bounty of his sovereign which he paid over to his young friend declining what he had himself formally advanced to him nigel felt all the gratitude which the citizen's disinterested friendship had deserved and was not wanting in expressing it suitably yet as the young and high-born nobleman embarked to go to the presence of his prince under the patronage of one whose best or most distinguished qualification was his being an eminent member of the goldsmiths incorporation he felt a little surprised if not abashed at his own situation and rich even it please as he stepped over the gangway to take his place forward in the boat could not help muttering it was change day betwixt master harriet and his honest father in the crames but doubtless there was a difference between clinking on gold and silver and clattering upon pewter on they glided by the assistance of the oars of four stout watermen along the thames which then served for the principal high-road betwixt london and westminster for few ventured on horseback through the narrow and crowded streets of the city and coaches were then a luxury reserved only for the higher nobility and to which no citizen 
whatever was his wealth presumed to aspire the beauty of the banks especially on the northern side where the gardens of the nobility descended from their hotels in many places down to the water's edge was pointed out to nigel by his kind conductor and was pointed out in vain the mind of the young lord of glenvarloch was filled with anticipations not the most pleasant concerning the manner in which he was likely to be received by that monarch in whose behalf his family had been nearly reduced to ruin and he was with the usual mental anxiety of those in such a situation framing imaginary questions from the king and over toiling his spirit in devising answers to them his conductor saw the labour of nigel's mind and avoided increasing it by farther conversation so that when he had explained to him briefly the ceremonies observed at court on such occasions of presentation the rest of their voyage was performed in silence they landed at whitehall stairs and entered the palace after announcing their names the guards paying to lord glenvarloch the respect and honours due to his rank the young man's heart beat high and thick within him as he came into the royal apartments his education abroad conducted as it had been on a narrow and limited scale had given him but imperfect ideas of the grandeur of a court and the philosophical reflections which taught him to set ceremonial and exterior splendour at defiance proved like other maxims of mere philosophy ineffectual at the moment they were weighed against the impression naturally made on the mind of an inexperienced youth by the unusual magnificence of the scene the splendid apartments through which they passed the rich apparel of the grooms guards and apartments had something in it trifling and commonplace as it might appear to practise courtiers embarrassing and even alarming to one who went through these forms for the first time and who was doubtful what sort of reception was to accompany his first appearance before his sovereign harriet in anxious attention to save his young friend from any momentary awkwardness had taken care to give the necessary password to the warders grooms of the chambers ushers or by whatever name they were designated so they passed on without interruption in this manner they passed several ante-rooms filled chiefly with guards attendants of the court and their acquaintances male and female who dressed in their best apparel and with eyes rounded by eager curiosity to make the most of their opportunity stood with beseeming modesty ranked against the wall in a manner which indicated that they were spectators not performers in the courtly exhibition through these exterior apartments lord glenvarloch and his city friend advanced into a large and splendid withdrawing-room communicating with the presence chamber into which ante-room were admitted those only who from birth their post in the state or household or by the particular grant of the kings had right to attend the court as men entitled to pay their respects to their sovereign amid this favoured and selected company nigel observed sir mungo Mellagrother, who avoided and discountenanced by those who knew how low he stood in court interest and favour was but too happy in the opportunity of hooking himself upon a person of lord glenvarloch's rank who was as yet so inexperienced as to feel it difficult to shake off an intruder the knight forthwith framed his grim features to a ghastly smile and after a preliminary and patronising nod to george harriet accompanied with an aristocratic wave of the hand which intimated at once superiority and protection he laid aside altogether the honest citizen to whom he owed many a dinner 
to attach himself exclusively to the young lord although he suspected he might be occasionally in the predicament of needing one as much as himself and even the notice of this original singular and unamiable as he was was not entirely indifferent to lord glenvarlock since the absolute and somewhat constrained silence of his good friend harriet which left him at liberty to retire painfully to his own agitating reflections was now relieved while on the other hand he could not help feeling interest in the sharp and sarcastic information poured upon him by an observant though discontented courtier to whom a patient auditor and he a man of title and rank was as much a prize as his acute and communicative disposition rendered him an entertaining companion to nigel oliphant harriet in the meantime neglected by sir mungo and avoiding every attempt by which the grateful politeness of lord glenvarlock strove to bring him into the conversation stood by with a kind of half-smile on his countenance but whether excited by sir mungo's wit or arising at his expense did not exactly appear in the meantime the trio occupied a nook of the ante-room next to the door of the presence chamber which was not yet thrown open when maxwell with his rod of office came bustling into the apartment where most men excepting those of high rank made way for him he stopped beside the party in which we are interested looked for a moment at the young scots nobleman then made a slight obeisance to harriet and lastly addressing sir mungo magalagrother began a hurried complaint to him of the misbehaviour of the gentlemen pensioners and warders who suffered all sort of citizens suitors and scriveners to sneak into the outer apartments without either respect or decency the english he said were scandalised for such a thing durst not be attempted in the queen's days in her time there was then the courtyard for the mobility and the apartments for the nobility and it reflects on your place sir mungo he added belonging to the household as you do that such things should not be better ordered here sir mungo afflicted as was frequently the case on such occasions with one of his usual fits of deafness answered it was no wonder the nobility used freedoms when those whom they saw in office were so little better in blood havings than themselves you are right sir quite right said maxwell putting his hand on the tarnished embroidery on the old knight's sleeve when such fellows see men in office dressed in cast-off suits like paltry stage-players it is no wonder the court is thronged with intruders were you lauding the taste of my embroidery master maxwell answered the knight who apparently interpreted the deputy chamberlain's meaning rather from his action than his words it is of an ancient and liberal pattern having been made by your mother's father old james stitchell a master fashioner of honest repute in merlin's win whom i made a point to employ as i am now happy to remember seeing your father thought fit to intermarry with such a person's daughter maxwell looked stern but conscious there was nothing to be got of sir mungo in the way of amends and that prosecuting the quarrel with such an adversary would only render him ridiculous and make public a misalliance of which he had no reason to be proud he covered his resentment with a sneer and expressing his regret that sir mungo was become too deaf to understand or attend to what was said to him walked on and planted himself beside the folding doors of the presence chamber at which he was to perform the duty of deputy chamberlain or usher so soon as they should be opened the door of the presence is about to open said the goldsmith in a whisper to his young friend my condition permits me to go no farther with you fail not to present yourself boldly according to your birth and offer your supplication which the king will not refuse to accept 
and as i hope to consider favourably as he spoke the door of the presence chamber opened accordingly and as is usual on such occasions the courtiers began to advance towards it and to enter in a slow but continuous and uninterrupted stream as nigel presented himself in his turn at the entrance and mentioned his name and title maxwell seemed to hesitate you are not known to any one he said it is my duty to suffer no one to pass to the presence my lord whose face is unknown to me unless upon the word of a responsible person i came with master george harriet said nigel in some embarrassment at this unexpected interruption master harriet's name will pass current for much gold and silver my lord replied maxwell with a civil sneer but not for birth and rank i am compelled by my office to be peremptory the entrance is impeded i am much concerned to say it your lordship must stand back what is the matter said an old scottish nobleman who had been speaking with george harriet after he had separated from nigel and who now came forward observing the altercation betwixt the latter and maxwell it is only master deputy chamberlain maxwell said sir mungo malagrother expressing his joy to see lord glenvarlock at court whose father gave him his office at least i think he is speaking to that purport for your lordship kens my imperfection a subdued laugh such as the situation permitted passed round amongst those who heard this specimen of sir mungo's sarcastic temper but the old nobleman stepped still more forward saying what the son of my gallant old opponent octred oliphant i will introduce him to the presence myself so saying he took nigel by the arm without farther ceremony and was about to lead him forward when maxwell still keeping his rod across the door said with hesitation and embarrassment my lord this gentleman is not known and i have orders to be scrupulous tuddy tady man said the old lord i will be answerable he is his father's son from the cut of his eyebrow and thou maxwell knewest his father well enough to have spared thy scruples let us pass man so saying he put aside the jeopardy chamberlain's rod and entered the presence room still holding the young nobleman by the arm why i must know you man he said i must know you i knew your father well man and i have broke a lance and crossed a blade with him and it is to my credit that i am living to brag of it he was king's man and i was queen's man during the douglas wars young fellows both that feared neither fire nor still and we had some old feudal quarrels besides that had come down from father to son with our seal-rings two heritage broadswords and plate-coats and the crests on our burgonets too loud my lord of huntingland whispered a gentleman of the chamber the king the king the old earl for such he proved took the hint and was silent and james advancing from a side door received in succession the compliments of strangers while a little group of favourite courtiers or officers of the household stood around him to whom he addressed himself from time to time some more pains had been bestowed on his toilette than upon the occasion when we first presented the monarch to our readers but there was a natural awkwardness about his figure which prevented his clothes from sitting handsomely and the prudence or timidity of his disposition had made him adopt the custom already noticed of wearing a dress so thickly quilted as might withstand the stroke of a dagger which added an ungainly stiffness to his whole appearance contrasting oddly with the frivolous ungraceful and fidgeting motions with which he accompanied his conversation and yet though the king's deportment was very undignified he had a manner so kind familiar and good-humoured was so little apt to veil over or conceal his own foibles and had so much indulgence and sympathy for those of others that his address joined to his learning and a certain proportion of shrewd 
mother wit failed not to make a favourable impression on those who approached his person when the earl of huntingglen had presented nigel to his sovereign a ceremony which the good peer took upon himself the king received the young lord very graciously and observed to his introducer that he was fain to see them twae stand side by side for i trow my lord huntingglen continued he your ancestors i and e'en your lordship's self and this lad's father have stood front to front at the sword's point and that is a worse posture until your majesty said lord huntingglen made lord octred and me cross palms upon the memorable day when your majesty feasted all the nobles that were at feud together and made them join hands in your presence i mind it weel said the king i mind it weel it was a blessed day being the nineteenth of september of all days in the year and it was a blithe sport to see how some of the carls gurned as they clapped loofs together but my saw i thought some of them mere special the highland chiels wad have broken out in our own presence but we caused them to march hand in hand to the cross ourselves leading the way and there drink a blithe cup of kindness with ill cutter to the stanching of feud and perpetuation of amity old john anderson was provost that year the carl grat for joy and the baileys and counsellors danced bareheaded in our presence like five-year-old colts for very triumph it was indeed a happy day said lord huntingglen and will not be forgotten in the history of your majesty's reign i would not that it were my lord replied the monarch i would not that it were pretermitted in our annals ay ay beati fusi my english lieges here may we make much of me for i would have them to know they have gotten the only peaceable man that ever came of my family if james with the fiery face had come amongst you he said looking round him or my great-grandsire of flodden memory we should have sent him back to the north again whispered one english nobleman at least said another in the same inaudible tone we should have had a man to our sovereign though he were but a scotsman and now my young springald said the king to lord glenvarlock where have you been spending your calf time at leyden of late may it please your majesty answered lord niger aha a scholar said the king and by my saw a modest and ingenuous youth that hath not forgotten how to blush like most of our travelled messieurs we will treat him conformably then drawing himself up coughing slightly and looking around him with the conscious importance of superior learning all the courtiers who understood or understood not latin pressed eagerly forward to listen the sapient monarch prosecuted his inquiries as follows hem hem salve bis turque salve clen war lacadis noster super um ne ab duguna pata warm britannium redisti the young nobleman replied bowing low emo rex augustissime vienium fere apud lugdunensis moratus sum james proceeded vienium ticus bene bene optume factum est non une die quod dicant intelligisti nomine glenvar lachiensis aha nigel replied by a reverent bow and the king turning to those behind him said adola sens quidem ingenui voltus ingenique pedorus then resumed his learned queries et quid hode lugdanensis loquentur vocius wester nihilne novi 
scripsit nihil certe quod doleo tippus recenter editit vale quidem vocius rex bene vale replied nigel as senex veneratissimus anum agit ni follow septua chesimum virum mehericol vix tam quan derom quididerum replied the monarch et war stius is stay armenii improbi successor aque ac sectator heros ne abhug at cum homera lacar zeus esti kai epi thon der ke text in greek nigel by good fortune remembered that forstius the divine last mentioned in his majesty's queries about the state of dutch literature had been engaged in a personal controversy with james in which the king had taken so deep an interest and as as a link to hint in his public correspondence with the united states that they would do well to apply the secular arm to stop the progress of heresy by violent measures against the professor's person a demand which their mighty mightinesses principles of universal toleration induced them to elude though with some difficulty knowing all this lord Grenvalloc, though a courtier of only five minutes standing had address enough to reply we will quidem haud diu est hominem quidibam vigere autem quis dicat qui sub fulminibus eloquentia tua rex magne iam dudum ponus jacet et prostratus this last tribute to his polemical powers completed james's happiness which the triumph of exhibiting his erudition had already raised to a considerable height he rubbed his hands snapped his fingers fidgeted chuckled exclaimed Uge, bel optime and turning to the bishops of exeter and oxford who stood behind him he said ye see my lords no bad specimen of our scottish latinity with which language we would all our subjects of england were as well imbued as this and other youths of honourable birth in our old kingdom also we keep the genuine and roman pronunciation like other learned nations on the continent say that we hold communion with any scholar in the universe who can but speak the latin tongue whereas ye our learned subjects of england have introduced into your universities otherwise most learned a fashion of pronouncing like unto the nippet foot and clippet foot of the bride in the fairy tale wilk manner of speech take it not amiss that i be round with you can be understood by no nation on earth saving yourselves whereby latin quoad anglos ceases to be communius lingua the general drago man or interpreter between all the wise men of the earth the bishop of exeter bowed as in acquiescence to the royal century but he of oxford stood upright as mindful over what subjects his see extended and as being equally willing to become food for faggots in defence of the latinity of the university as for any article of his religious creed the king without awaiting an answer from either prelate proceeded to question lord nigel but the vernacular tongue wheel my likely ominous of the muses and what make you so far from the north to pay my homage to your majesty said the young nobleman kneeling on one knee and to lay before you he added this my humble and dutiful supplication the presenting of a pistol would certainly have startled king james more but could setting apart the fright hardly have been more unpleasing to his indolent disposition and is it even so man said he 
and can no single man were it but for the rarity of the case ever come up fray scotland excepting ex proposito unset purpose to see what he can make out of his loving sovereign it is but three days sin that we had weal nigh lost our life and put three kingdoms into dual weeds from the overhaste of a clumsy-handed peasant to thrust a packet into our hand and now we are beset by the like impediment in our very court to our secretary with that gear my lord to our secretary with that gear i have already offered my humble supplication to your majesty's secretary of state said lord glenvarlock but it seems that he would not receive it i warrant said the king interrupting him but my saul our secretary kens that point of kingcraft called refusing better than we do and will look at nothing but what he likes himself i think i wad make a better secretary to him than he to me weel my lord you are welcome to london and as ye seem an acute and learned youth i advise you to turn your neb northward as soon as ye like and settle your cell for a while at st andrews and we will be right glad to hear that you prosper in your studies incubiti remus for titer while the king spoke thus he held the petition of the young lord carelessly like one who only delayed till the supplicant's back was turned to throw it away or at least lay it aside to be no more looked at the petitioner who read this in his cold and indifferent looks and in the manner in which he twisted and crumpled together the paper arose with a bitter sense of anger and disappointment made a profound obeisance and was about to retire hastily but lord huntingland who stood by him checked his intention by an almost imperceptible touch upon the skirt of his cloak and nigel taking the hint retreated only a few steps from the royal presence and then made a pause in the meantime lord huntingland kneeled before james in his turn and said may it please your majesty to remember that upon one certain occasion you did promise to grant me a boon every year of your sacred life i mind it weel man answered james i mind it weel and good reason why it was when you unclasped the false traitor ruth ben's fangs from about our royal throat and drove your dirk into him like a true subject we did that as you remind us wilk was unnecessary being partly beside ourselves with joy at our liberation promised we would grant you a free boon every year wilk promised on our coming to men's full possession of our royal faculties we do confirm restrictive always and condition alighter that your lordship's demand should be such as we in our royal discretion should think reasonable even so gracious sovereign said the old earl and may i yet farther crave to know if i have ever exceeded the bounds of your royal benevolence by my word man no said the king i cannot remember you have asked much for yourself if it be not a dog or a hawk or a buck out of our park at the balls or such like but to what serves this preface to the boon to which i am now to ask of your grace said lord huntingland which is that your majesty would be pleased on the instant to look at the placket of lord glenvarlock and do upon it what your own just and royal nature shall think meet and just without reference to your secretary or any other of your counsel by my soul my lord this is strange said the king you are pleading for the son of your enemy of one who was my enemy till your majesty made him my friend answered lord huntingland well spoken my lord said the king and with a true christian spirit and respecting the supplication of this young man i partly guess where the matter lies and in plain troth i have promised to george harry to be good to the lad but then here the shoe pinches 
steenie and baby charles cannot abide him neither can your own son my lord and so methinks he had better go down to scotland before he comes too ill luck by them my son and it please your majesty so far as he is concerned shall not direct my doings said the earl nor any wild-headed young man of them all why neither shall they mine replied the monarch by my father's saw none of them all shall play wrecks with me i will do what i will and what i ought like a free king your majesty will then grant me my boon said the lord huntingland i marry will i marry will i said the king but follow me this way man where we may be more private he led lord huntingdon with rather a hurried step through the courtiers all of whom gazed earnestly on this unwanted scene as is the fashion of all courts on similar occasions the king passed into a little cabinet and bade in the first moment lord huntingland lock or bar the door but countermanded his direction in the next saying no 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 bread of life i am a free king will do what i will and what i should i am justice at tanax proposity man nevertheless keep by the door lord huntingland in case steenie should come in with his mad humour oh my poor master groaned the earl of huntingland when you were in your old cold country you had warmer blood in your veins the king hastily looked over the petition or memorial every now and then glancing his eye towards the door and then sinking it hastily on the paper ashamed that lord huntingland whom he respected should suspect him of timidity to grant the truth he said after he had finished his hasty perusal this is a hard case and harder than it was represented to me though i had some inkling of it before and so the lad only wants payment of the siller due from us in order to reclaim his paternal estate but then hunting glen the lad will have other debts and why burden himself with say money acres of barren woodland let the land gang man let the land gang steenie has the promise of it from our scottish chancellor it is the best hunting ground in scotland and baby charles and steenie want to kill a buck there this next year they maun hay the land they maun hay the land and our debt shall be paid to the young man plack and bawbee and he may have the spending of it at our court or if he has such an erd hunger wounds man we'll stuff his stomach with english land which is worth twice as much or ten times as much as these accursed hills and hues and mosses and mules that he is say keen after all this while the poor king ambled up and down the apartment in a piteous state of uncertainty which was made more ridiculous by his shambling circular mode of managing his legs and his ungainly fashion on such occasions of fiddling with the bunches of ribbons which fashioned the lower part of his dress lord Glen listened with great composure and answered and it please your majesty there was an answer yielded by naboth when ahab coveted his vineyard the lord forbid that i should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee ay my lord ay my lord ejaculated james while all the colour mounted both to his cheek and nose hope ye mean not to teach me divinity you need not fear my lord that i will shun to do justice to every man and since your lordship will give me no help to take up this in a more peaceful manner wilt methinks would be better for the young man as i said before why since it maun be so so death i am a free king man and he shall have his money and redeem his land and make a kirk and a mill of it and he will so saying he hastily wrote an order on the scottish exchequer for the sum in question and then added how they are to pay it i see not but i warrant he will find money on the order among the goldsmiths who can find it for every one but me and now you see my lord hunting glen 
that i am neither an untrue man to deny you the boon wilka became bound for nor an ahab to covet naboth's vineyard nor a mere nose of wax to be twisted this way and that by favourites and counsels at their pleasure i think you will grant now that i am none of those you are my own native and noble prince said huntingland as he knelt to kiss the royal hand just and generous whenever you listen to the workings of your own heart ay ay said the king laughing good-naturedly as he raised his faithful servant from the ground that is what ye all say when i do anything to please ye there there take the sign manual and away with ye and this young fellow i wonder steenie and baby charles have not broken in on us before now lord huntingland hastened from the cabinet foreseeing a scene at which he was unwilling to be present but which sometimes occurred when james roused himself so far as to exert his own free will of which he boasted so much in spite of that of his imperious favourite steenie as he called the duke of buckingham from a supposed resemblance betwixt his very handsome countenance and that with which the italian artist represented the proto-martyr stephen in fact the haughty favourite who had the unusual good fortune to stand as high in the opinion of the heir apparent as of the existing monarch had considerably diminished in his respect towards the latter and it was apparent to the more shrewd courtiers that james endured his domination rather from habit timidity and a dread of encountering his stormy passions than from any heartfelt continuation of regard towards him whose greatness had been the work of his own hands to save himself the pain of seeing what was likely to take place on the duke's return and to preserve the king from the additional humiliation which the presence of such a witness must have occasioned the earl left the cabinet as speedily as possible having first carefully pocketed the important sign manual no sooner had he entered the presence room than he hastily sought lord glenvarlock who had withdrawn into the embrasure of one of the windows from the general gaze of men who seemed disposed only to afford him the notice which arises from surprise and curiosity and taking him by the arm without speaking led him out of the presence chamber into the first anteroom here they found the worthy goldsmith who approached them with looks of curiosity which were checked by the old lord who said hastily all is well is your barge in waiting harriet answered in the affirmative then said lord huntingland you shall give me a cast in it as the watermen say and i in requital will give you both your dinner for we must have some conversation together they both followed the earl without speaking and were in the second ante-room when the important annunciation of the ushers and the hasty murmur with which all made ample way as the company repeated to each other the duke the duke made them aware of the approach of the omnipotent favourite he entered that unhappy minion of court favour sumptuously dressed in the picturesque attire which will live for ever on the canvas of vandyke and which marked so well the proud age when aristocracy though undermined and nodding to its fall still by external show and profuse expense endeavoured to assert its paramount superiority over the inferior orders the handsome and commanding countenance stately form and graceful action and manners of the duke of buckingham made him become that picturesque dress beyond any man of his time at present however his countenance seemed discomposed his dress a little more disordered than became the place his step hasty and his voice imperative all marked the angry spot upon his brow and bore back so suddenly to make way for him that the earl of huntingland who affected no extraordinary haste on the occasion with his companions who could not if they would have decently left him remained as it were by themselves in the middle of the room and in the very path of the angry favourite he touched his cap sternly as he looked on hunting glen but unbonneted to harriet 
and sunk his beaver with its shadowy plume as low as the floor with a profound air of mock respect in returning his greeting which he did simply and unaffectedly the citizen only said too much courtesy my lord duke is often the reverse of kindness i grieve you should think so master harriet answered the duke i only meant by my homage to claim your protection so your patronage you are become i understand a solicitor of suits a promoter an undertaker a fodder of court suitors of merit and quality who chance to be penniless i trust your bags will bear you out in your new boast they will bear me the farther my lord duke answered the goldsmith that my boast is but small oh you do yourself less than justice by good master harry continued the duke in the same tone of irony you have a marvellous court faction to be the son of an edinburgh tinker have the goodness to prefer me to the knowledge of the high-born nobleman who is honoured and advantaged by your patronage that shall be my task said lord huntingglen with emphasis my lord duke i desire you to know nigel oliphant lord glenvarlock representative of one of the most ancient and powerful baronial houses in scotland lord glenvarlock i present you to his grace the duke of buckingham representative of sir george villiers knight of brooksby in the county of leicester the duke coloured still more high as he bowed to lord glenvarlock scornfully a courtesy which the other returned haughtily and with restrained indignation we know each other then said the duke after a moment's pause and as if he had seen something in the young nobleman which merited more serious notice than the bitter raillery with which he had commenced we know each other and you know me my lord for your enemy i thank you for your plainness my lord duke replied nigel an open enemy is better than a hollow friend for you my lord huntingglen said the duke methinks you have but now overstepped the limits of the indulgence permitted to you as the father of the prince's friend and my own by my word my lord duke replied the earl it is easy for any one to outstep boundaries of the existence of which he was not aware it is neither to secure my protection nor approbation that my son keeps such exalted company oh my lord we know you and indulge you said the duke you are one of those who presume for a lifelong upon the merit of one good action in faith my lord and if it be so said the old earl i have at least the advantage of such as presume more than i do without having done any action of merit whatever i mean not to quarrel with you my lord we can neither be friends nor enemies you have your path and i have mine buckingham only replied by throwing on his bonnet and shaking its lofty plume with a careless and scornful toss of the head they parted thus the duke walking onwards through the apartments and the others leaving the palace and repairing to whitehall stairs where they embarked on board the barge of the citizen End of chapter nine